What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. Inching ever so close to episode 200. I know. We haven't done a countdown in a while. It just reminds me that we have no plan. <laughs> right, but that's okay. We'll, we'll come up with AJ, one. please make a note that we need to come up with a plan for episode 200. Yeah. Noted. Better Thank yet, you. AJ, just come up with a plan for episode 200. AJ, hey, I agree with that. I concur completely. <laughs> just okay. do that for us, because we've been talking about this for the last 30 episodes, and still we've no plan. We've probably been talking about this since episode 101, that we needed a plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, you know, we like to stay ahead of things. Yeah. And then procrastinate that plan. Yep. For quite a while. Yeah. So we'll figure it out. Yeah, maybe. We'll or, get there. Or we won't. Things will just keep on spinning. The world will keep on moving and moving. <laughs> and nobody will care. Nobody <laughs> will give a crap. A great point. So, uh, yeah. So we're going to cover a topic that I, we're fairly confident we haven't covered yet. Yeah. I think, if anything, we've mentioned a couple of the drugs as they were approved a few years ago, because I swear some of the stuff I'm going to say I have said before behind a microphone. That makes it sound like you've been rehearsing. I could have been rehearsing. That's impressive, dude. Years I'm ago, very proud of you. Uh, but I don't really think I talk into microphones except for here. So I don't know where this memory is coming from. Hmm. Right. That's a good question. We'll figure it out. AJ, yeah. add that to the to-do list. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> That's item three. <laughs> What's item two? Uh, cupcakes. Figure item two Episode is 200. to come up with item right. two. AJ's making cupcakes, right? Okay. On. Okay. You, AJ. So we're talking about cystic fibrosis. Yeah. Um, we actually got a, an email um, just recently asking uh, for us to cover this episode. And um, so we're going to give it our best shot, even though we are definitely not uh, in this space routinely. But nope. we're going to give you kind of the uh, the overview, um, not the nitty gritty details, but just kind of a brief overview of the pharmacotherapy management. And, you know, as, as usual, try our best. This is a podcast really dedicated to trying. Yeah. That's trying. about it. Succeeding, failing. Succeeding-ish. Sometimes. Sometimes. Failing yeah. mostly. Saying outlandish things and then yeah. we have to fact check ourselves. Yeah, so we're not experts, but we're going to give you the best info we can. Um, we'll get into the pathophys, but this is the portion that I swear I've said before. And that is that um, texts and uh, references to cystic fibrosis go back a really long time. In the Middle Ages, there was a link to salty skin being associated with pancreas damage and then um, death at a young age. Like if you licked their forehead, a baby's forehead or kissed their forehead, then you could tell that their sweat was especially salty. So we'll get into why that was, but there was an old saying that was, woe to the child who tastes salty from a kiss on the brow, for mm -hmm. he is cursed and soon will die. Mm -hmm. And that was like a, a medieval saying because they associated salty skin as a newborn is a sign of impending illness without cause or cure. It's crazy how it used to be a curse, and now... I know. Well, they associated it with witchcraft. Well, of course. Of course, right? Everything was witchcraft back then. Uh, but the first modern description of it was in 1938 by Dorothy Anderson, a pathologist on an autopsy. Um, they had previously called it mucoviscidosis. I'm glad they changed that. It sounds like something from uh, Mary Poppins. Hmm. It's good. It could well, be in the song. could be. What song? The... SPF, what is it? Mm. They spell out the long word. I don't think I've ever seen Mary Poppins. Supercalifragilistic expialidocious. That's what you're here for, AJ. AJ, I am appalled. Now I want you to spell it forwards and backwards for me. No, we're not going to do that. Yeah, it used to be called mucoviscidosis. Then she termed it cystic fibrosis of the pancreas. Good job, Dorothy. That's much better. 80, 90 years ago. Yeah. Could you, like, I wonder what that aha moment was for them where they're like, huh, 
not witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's there, a genetic there was, mutation. There's oh, a pretty big gap geez. in the history between the Middle Ages and 1938. So yeah, somewhere I in mean, between then and there, they realized it was not witchcraft. Yeah, somewhere. Probably 1937. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dor- Dorothy woke up that morning and said, wait a second. Wait a minute. This can't be witchcraft. This can't be witchcraft. I don't know any witches. <laughs> So, uh, cystic fibrosis, um, Cole kind of already, um, talked about it, but it's, it's a disease of the exocrine gland function, um, and it affects various organ systems. Um, kind of the broad ones would be the chronic respiratory infections that it can cause, pancreatic enzyme insufficiency, and then other complications that can arise if you just kind of leave it untreated, a lot of it dealing with mucus production and things like that. Um, it's something that's diagnosed, uh, at an average age of six to eight months old, um, kind of, I guess that's where that old, uh, medieval expression comes from. Um, but patients with uh, cystic fibrosis um, typically die um, from end-stage lung disease, and it's still something that we can't officially cure, even though the management's gotten a little bit better. Um, there's no cure as of now. Uh, it's an autosomal recessive disorder, and um, you know, the, obviously the, both, the child has to receive the gene from both parents that are heterozygous. Um, however, if the parent is a carrier, so they're not phenotypically dis- displaying the disorder, they're just a carrier of the gene, uh, they're typically asymptomatic until the patient gets both recessive genes. Right. So genetically passed down, not contagious, maybe misconception among some patients. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's there, uh, but it's not extremely common. So about 30,000 people in the U.S. with cystic fibrosis, about 1,000 uh, new patients are diagnosed each year. Um, speaking of the management being better, more than half of cystic fibrosis patients are over the age of 18, which uh, is a positive thing. That means they're living longer. We have better therapies. If we went back to the Middle Ages, uh, like I had said, they did not live uh, very long. So we have a lot, uh, many uh, uh, better therapies and many new therapies. Um, like Mike said, it's uh, um, an issue with the exocrine gland. So specifically, it's caused by a defect in the cystic fibrosis gene. Uh, it's a bit on the nose. Uh, it codes for a protein transmembrane conductane uh, regulator, the CFTR gene. So that that's kind of the, um, the big term to remember as we go through this is the CFTR gene. It functions as a chloride channel and is regulated by cyclic AMP, so cyclic adenosine monophosphate. There's six, six classes of defects. I'll kind of mention a couple of common ones. Uh, the genotype does not predict the pattern of severity of disease, uh, but can kind of guide uh, the treatment a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about that. So signs and symptoms. Uh, this is more as they get older. A lot of times this is diagnosed very young. We'll talk about that. But GI symptoms, abdominal distension, intestinal obstruction, recurrent abdominal pain, jaundice, and GI bleeding, all signs and symptoms. Did you say protein transmembrane conductane regulator or yeah. conductance? Um, I definitely probably said conductane. And I, I meant, And I like that better. I'm not well, going to lie. As I was saying it, I thought, that's not a You're word. Like, that seems weird. And, and that rhymes. That's unusual. And then I couldn't just I wrap like, my head around what I was looking at. And I said, that sounds right. Yeah, conductane. Just blue right there so that's why and that's why i, I decided it, cftr is the best be, thing to remember and because i'm a good friend i re, i circle back <laughs> and i draw everyone's attention to that <laughs> much appreciated yep no problem dude aj take notes it's good looking that's out. how you do it that's and item two that's how you get that's how you get past executive producer and that's a measure of electricity isn't it conductance uh, uh yeah i'll mention some of the mutations or at least the most common mutations because there are a whole bunch of them the most common mutation is um the F508D1 
DEL, which is like a deletion of the F508 uh, number of other mutations. Yeah. If you guys are hearing my dogs bark again for like the 18th episode in a row, that's because, you know, my wife's letting them bark and getting them all riled up down there. I have no she knows we're recording. You could probably consider them executive producers. They're all They might as well be. I know. I'm going to go actually put them all up on Craigslist after this episode. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, Okay, so more signs and, and symptoms. From a respiratory uh, you know, standpoint, we're thinking re- recurrent pneumonia, atypical asthma, dys- uh, dyspnea on exertion, chest pain, things like that. Um, from a GI or a genitourinary symptoms, um, delayed secondary sexual development, amenorrhea, and um, there's some other things like pancreatitis, chronic diarrhea, rectal prolapse, um, and you know several other things that could happen, even cirrhosis or other forms of hepatic dysfunction, nasal polyps, even, um, and, and those type of things kind of depend on the you know uh, disease progression and how far along the patient is or how you know, long they've lived with it, and uh, you know obviously individual basis kind of can vary, but it definitely uh, affects a vast majority of the body and in various ways. So it's very very um, harsh on the quality of life for these patients. Yes, very much so. Uh, so diagnosis. So it typically depends on either a positive genetic test, which um, might be uh, kind of more more common uh, these days, or a positive sweat test plus one other thing, either a typical chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, documented exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or a positive family history, like you have um, a sibling that's affected. So sweat test plus one of those, or a positive genetic test can um, be diagnostic. The sweat test, it's abbreviated as the QPIT test. It's the quantitative pilocarpine iontophoresis test. Collects sweat. Um, they perform a clinical analysis of it to evaluate the chloride content. Um, so like we kind of referenced, there's going to be um, uh, excess chloride in the sweat. It's going to make it taste salty. Um, and that uh, it currently is considered to be the only adequately sensitive and specific type of sweat test there is. Uh, the issue is there's other things uh, that can elevate chloride levels in the sweat. Some of those being hypothyroidism, uh, malnutrition, familial hyperparathyroidism, even atopic dermatitis and some other things. Um, so that's why you have to have one of the other diagnostic indicators along with the sweat test to diagnose it. Yeah, and I mean those can be anywhere from imaging tests, genotyping, um, pulmonary function testing, um, uh, immunoreactive, uh, trypsinogen, contrast barium enema. There's a, a few others you could look at: um, bronchioalveolar lavage and uh, speedo microbiology, things like that. Uh, so we're using all these things to kind of put together to develop the diagnosis. Yeah, and and at that point we're kind of moving into how we're going to keep these patients as, as comfortable and managed, I guess, as possible with the best quality of life that's possible. Right. And there's three goals to that if you're thinking about just overall overview of treatment for CF. Um, that's going to help with their quality of life. We want to maintain lung function, um, nutritional supplementation, including pancreatic enzymes, and we'll get into that. Uh, but a lot of these patients have issues with maintaining their weight and then managing complications. With the lung function, managing respiratory infections, we'll talk about ways to do that, and then clearing the mucus from the airways because they're going to have a lot of excessive mucus um, that's going to uh, inhibit their lung function. Diet and exercise. Their diet and exercise is not like um, a normal individual's. Um, they um, There needs to be a high-energy and high-fat diet plus supplementations with vitamins uh, and minerals. Additional salt intake is recommended for patients who are in a hot climate 
Um, enteral feeds or nasogastric tube placement is sometimes needed in certain patients who um, are unable to maintain their weight. And then um, still regular exercise is recommended as well. Yep. Yep. Um, so, you know, besides the, the diet and lifestyle and exercise and all those things, we have, we also have medications that can be used for sort of the management of symptoms and, and overall, you know, increasing that again, quality of life and decreasing the risk of infections and things. Um, so as far as some of the, uh, clearance therapies that we have for the airway, um, we can either use like a bronchodilator, like just plain albuterol. Um, which, you know, we've already talked about that in our couple a couple episodes ago, or in the last episode, we did COPD, so we mentioned yes. albuterol. Hopefully, you guys are all familiar with that. That just came out. Uh, albuterol just got just got FDA approved Albuterol like yesterday. the new thing on the box. The yeah. episode just came out a few yeah, days yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, literally. Like, yeah. A couple days. Yeah. Because who knows when we're going to release this. That's a great, that's a great you point. You know I don't ever I wait. I was thinking, I was going to say yesterday, because that's technically exactly when it came out. But then I thought, maybe I'll try to sound like we released this like a few days from now. But then I thought, no, Michael probably released it tonight. So I'll, I'll, I'll have yesterday. the best intentions of waiting <laughs> and then I'll freak out and be like, no, we got to post it. <laughs> Especially since last month, I think we only posted like one or two episodes. What? Yeah. Because my son was born. I was busy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Plus AJ was who knows where. Cruising. Busy. <laughs> well, cruising. He was busy cruising. Um, so besides albuterol, we have things like hypertonic saline. Um, so that's going to help to kind of mobilize the mucus you know, and improve that airway clearance. Um, it's dosed using a, a nebulizer and you use a four ML vial and inhale it via the nebulizer two to four times daily. Um, and there's two different brand names. There's hyper, uh, hypersal and then pulmosal. Pulmosal is, is buffered. So it basically matches the physiologic pH of the airway surface liquid. And so, you know, that is kind of like their claim to fame over the other competition, if you will. Right. Um, but it is a nebulized, uh, treatment. Uh, there's another nebulized treatment, uh, we have called Dornase Alpha. It's branded as Pulmazyme. How it works is, uh, it degrades extracellular DNA in the lungs decreases uh, mucus viscosity and it promotes airway clearance that way so it can help uh, with breathing as far as that goes uh, there's 2.5 milligram ampules you would inhale one ampule two to four times a day uh, via nebulizer with this one um, interestingly it can it contains or is associated with chinese hamster ovary products so any patient with a hypersensitivity to that would be contraindicated to using pulmazine adverse effects chest pain fever rash rhinitis, voice alterations associated with the nebulization. Um, as far as storage of the ampules, they need to be stored in the fridge. So make sure that patients are aware of that and discarded if left at room temperature for more than 24 hours. So there is a, an order of kind of administering these therapies. Um, first, you would use the bronchodilator and uh, wait about 15 minutes to kind of allow the, the airways to to be dilated and open up. Um, then you could utilize the hypertonic saline to improve the hydration and thin those secretions out. Um, then you could even use a, some sort of like an airway clearance device itself and then follow that with the um, pulmazyme to break up that mucus. And then if you were going to use um, steroids or antibiotics or anything, you could kind of use that, but kind of save the, the antibiotics for last, which we'll talk about the couple of them that are available. Right. Right. So that was all airway clearance. Um, the issue and the reason we need to use antibiotics is because with all that mucus, there can be increased colonization of bacteria, um, specifically Pseudomonas is what we're concerned about. So the antibiotics that we're going to talk about target that. 
There's inhaled tobramycin. Uh, it's branded in a number of ways. The Toby Podhaler, Beth Kiss, Kitabis Pack. Uh, the Podhaler is delivered via capsule. The capsules are not to be swallowed. They're inserted into the Podhaler, kind of like the Spreva uh, inhaler, right? Um, so they're inserted into the Podhaler, then inhaled. Um, all the other brands that are out there are nebulized solutions. So it's indicated for pseudomonas infections. It's dosed every 12 hours. It's not given all the time. It's given for 28 days. Then you allow for a 28-day uh, drug-free period after that. has some adverse effects associated with the antibiotic uh, type, so ototoxicity, tinnitus, voice alterations, um, possibly mouth or throat pain. But that's a, a common one you'll see in these patients. And you would kind of want to monitor with, with these inhaled antibiotics, especially kind of monitor the, uh, the PFTs and specifically looking for FEV1 um, to kind of monitor the, their lung function. And then any type of bacterial susceptibility changes that may occur is also going to be an important thing to watch out for. Right. Um, but besides tobramycin, um, we also have Astrinam. Um, it's an inhaled nebulized solution um, under the brand name Kasten, and uh, it is also uh, going to cover Pseudomonas. And uh, it's a twenty, or excuse me, a seventy-five milligram um, dose that's inhaled through the nebulizer three times daily, uh, and then that's given again for that twenty-eight day period, and then allowed for a twenty-eight day drug-free period after that. Um, adverse effects: bronchospasm, fever, wheezing, cough, chest discomfort. All things that you expect from breathing in an antibiotic into your lungs. Yes. Um, important to note that it's only approved in age seven or older. Um, so there are some age limitations on things. So obviously these patients are going to be having treatments from pretty much the time they're born uh, throughout their life. But that is um, only indicated in age seven and older. And same thing with the PFTs, monitoring for the FEV1. Yes. Same thing with monitoring. Exactly. Um, there's also Zithromax. Azithromycin can be given orally to decrease inflammation, possibly decrease exacerbations. Um, the dosing is based on weight, so a lot of these are going to be kids, uh, possibly, so dosing based on weight. It's given three times per week. Um, some adverse effects kind of specific to cystic fibrosis would be tinnitus, nausea, and then it, it has the risk for QT prolongation as well. Yeah, which I feel like that's something that we always kind of blow over when it comes to like a Z-pack or something. But since this is more long-term, that's why Cole said it's more specific to, you know, cystic fibrosis because these are going to be more um, chronic medications. Yep. Yep. All right. So um, pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy is also a very important part of dealing with um, or managing cystic fibrosis. And, and the reason for that, and Cole kind of touched on this earlier, um, was is the fact that when you... Um, you know, the patient is not producing these enzymes naturally. So like amylase, lipase, um, you know, are things that are basically responsible for breaking down like fats and starches and things like that, proteins. And so the patient's um, stools, basically, because they have all this excess of non-broken down um, fat and things like that in the stool itself, they, you get these like greasy oily very foul smelling stools um yes bringing that back that was like episode 13 where mm -hmm. cole and me could not stop laughing like five-year-olds over something stupid we've obviously moved on and Dude. moved up cause yeah because look at us we're not even barely laughing. a chuckle barely a chuckle mm. it's on our tiktok <laughs> <laughs> the uh but um you know without those uh, pancreatic enzymes that's kind of uh what can start to happen because of that buildup so um, these patients will need to be on uh, some formulation of uh, 
of these enzymes, which they the the makeup is lit lipase, amylase, and protease. And there's a few different brand names of these uh, enzymes that are, are available. So they have like Creon, they have Viocase, they have Zenpep, and um, they are basically all uh, formulated to dissolve in the duodenums because they're looking for that more basic pH. Um, however, these formulations are not interchangeable. So you do not want to just swap them out or uh, if the patient's been on one, don't just switch to the other without reassessing the dose and all that. Um, but the, the dose is based on the patient's weight with a max dose uh, based on units per kilogram per meal. Um, or you can look at it from a units per kilogram per day uh, point of view as well. But uh, the, the dose itself is going to be based on the lipase component. It's kind of how you would calculate the dose. And then uh, after you initiate, uh, the dose is adjusted every three to four days until the patient's stools are normal. So that's how you're monitoring it, just looking at the stool, smelling the the stool. Fatty poo. Yep, yep. Um, some warnings to keep in mind, um, they can cause uh, an increase in mucosal irritation. Um, they can increase uric acid levels and, uh, there are, are rare cases, um, but there's, it's been documented to lead to fibrosing, uh, colonopathy and eventually even, um, colonic strictures, usually only in patients taking doses over 10,000 lipase units per kilogram per day. So fairly high doses. Um, those are more rare things or more, you know, serious things to watch out for, but some common adverse effects, flatulence. So you might get rid of the smell from the poo, but mm. flatulence is still going to be a possibility. going to follow you. It is. Abdominal pain, nausea, all fairly common. Um, they are all enteric coated with the exception of the brand name Viacase. Uh, that's the only version of these um, combo enzymes that is uh, a tablet form that's non-enteric coated. So mm-hmm. it does have to be given with a proton pump inhibitor in order for it not to get broken down in the stomach and the others are capsules right i think so yeah. zinpep and creon mm-hmm. capsules yeah yeah um but they do need to be taken before or with all meals and snacks so you would basically do like half of a mealtime dose for the snacks and um if it's a very high fat meal then uh higher doses may be needed right going to mcdonald's it's like carb counting only with fat with enzymes yeah yeah hmm. so there you go uh, before we move on to the newer drugs, I did want to touch on another complication. So obviously pancreatic issues are one complication. Um, patients can have can actually develop diabetes. And it's um, for those diabetes educators out there, it's a very specific uh, presentation of diabetes. They would call it cystic fibrosis-related diabetes, CFRD. It's not the same as um, diabetes in a regular individual. It has some features that are typical of type 1 diabetes, but also typical of type 2 diabetes. In um, these individuals, not enough insulin is made uh, by the pancreas, so it's still related to a pancreatic issue uh, because there's scarring that's caused uh, by the increased mucus that's in the pancreas. Insulin resistance is present, but not because of being overweight. Like we said, a lot of these patients have issues um, with weight, uh, holding their weight, um, which is you know more associated with the overweight is more associated with type 2 diabetes. Uh, it's diagnosed similarly by an oral glucose tolerance test and it's not treated exactly the same way. So it's not treated by limiting calories, losing weight. You definitely don't want to do that in these patients. Um, you can use insulin, um, of course, uh, but you still want to maintain a high-calorie, high-protein, um, high-fat, high-salt diet uh, for nutritional health. So it's primarily treated with um, insulin, as I understand. And one thing I do want to also throw out there, too, is you know, the reason for you know the the need for those pancreatic enzymes besides the breaking down of fat and all that stuff because there's more to it than just leading to that 
greasy, foul-smelling stool. It's a, that, that's not ideal, obviously, but that's not like a life-or-death type of thing. Um, but it is, obviously leads to malabsorption um, over time. And so that's what we're, you know, the, the poor weight gain, which is what Cole is referring to. You don't want these patients to be losing weight, um, stomach, you know, issues, things like that. But the overall malabsorption is what we're, you know, concerned about ultimately with these patients. So I do want to make that make right. sure i make that clear i mean yeah. i feel like i focus too much on the uh foul smelling of poo versus uh you know really getting into why we care <laughs> well it's hard for us not to focus on the foul smelling right. more, more more immature i mean so. do you know it's been 180 something episodes there i think we know who we are yeah, at this point that's true right you guys know who we are um so it's so depressing the um the kind of Big new medications that have been coming out over the last few years, which are pretty amazing, really, if you think about cystic fibrosis um, over the course of history, are the CFTR modulators. So we had issues with the CFTR gene. So now we have uh, medications that can kind of assist, promote, correct the malfunctioning protein uh, to prevent all of that uh, chloride loss and help help it act in more of a regular fashion. So I'm going to list the uh, four uh, really quick, only because I want to specify the um, ages, the age restrictions on them, and then we'll get into each one of them individually. Um, they are kind of gene mutation specific as well. We, we referenced that before, but we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit as we go. Uh, but Ivacaftor is branded as Caldeco. It's indicated for six months and older. Uh, a combination of Lumacaftor and Ivacaftor is branded as Orcambi for two years and older. Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor, is, uh, that's a combination branded as Simdeco for six years and older. And then there's a um, three-drug combo uh, called, combined with um, Elaxacaftor, Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor, branded as Trikafta, and that's only for 12 years and up. One of these, I'm pretty positive recently or soon, is getting an indication for a lower age. I'm not going to say which one because I'm not totally sure, but I'm very sure that one of them is. So nice. be on the lookout for that. Dude, that's a good way to do it. <laughs> when you don't know, be as general as possible. Very general. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I like that strategy. That's nice. <laughs> Almost some interesting information, but not Dude, quite. You're like, it's just enough to get you interested. <laughs> yeah. It's enough to get you interested. See, what I want you to do research. is go look it up yourself. Whenever I would ask my dad a question, he would give me a five minute lecture about how I have the internet that I can look things up. He didn't have that when I was a kid, and I should go look it up on the internet, and he wouldn't ask answer that question. So that's what I've just done. I've, 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 uh, you know, it's like dad, promoted curiosity to go Google it. It's going to be like, but, but dad, I'm asking you cause you're the internet, right? You read this. So why don't you <laughs> you're just my tell internet. me? I've always wanted that. Like preceptors would say the same thing. Like, oh, you should just go look that up. Yeah. But you're supposed to be teaching me. So just teach it to me. Why, why do I have to go look? <laughs> it's cause my dad didn't know and he wanted, he didn't want to. That's it. good. That's good. That's what preceptors do too. That's probably true. You know what? Just go ahead and report back what you learned. Yeah. Just tell me about just it. Tell me what you learned. I'll tell you if it's right. I'll tell you if it's right. Yeah. That sounds right. <laughs> I'll verify it for that's you. That's a good way for students listening. Make sure that you just say something completely not true when, yeah. about, when you do look it up and test your preset. Or you could totally challenge them. I don't think you know the answer to yeah, that question. Yeah, that'll go, that, <laughs> See how that'll that go really well. <laughs> so especially with some of the ups, really uptight preceptors, definitely mm -hmm. encourage. You heard it here. Heard it here His first. His name's Cole Swanson. He said, yeah, yeah you're listening to the three-time <laughs> preceptor of the year over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't uh, give a crap. I think that was <laughs> hilarious if a student did that to me. I don't think you know. Yeah, I'd be I'd like, be like, yeah you're right. I don't know. I think I'd be pretty Actually, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, when, when I don't know, I'm pretty honest. If I I'm got, like, I don't yeah, know. yeah. If I got called out on when I was trying to fake it, yeah. oh, that'd be great. I'd oh, be yeah. like, uh, that's what I get. <laughs> that's what I get. Yeah. Um, all right. Did, anything else with that one? Did you want to touch on? Did, um, no, that was the general stuff for the ages. So now we can go into each of them uh, individually. Where do you want to start? Uh, we can start with Ibacaftor. So 
It's like I said, it's branded as Caldeco. Do you think that's how you say it? Mm-hmm. It has a Y in there that I don't think I'm pronouncing. Caladeco. Caladeco. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay. That sounds I like. We heard uh, I have a calf door pronounced. Caladeco. That sounds like a. Um, I don't know. That sounds like a modern chic design in California, like basically mm. Caladeco. It's like a San Fran type of yeah. vibe. Very, yeah. yeah, very expensive. Very expensive. <laughs> it sounds expensive. Yeah. Well, the drug is expensive, but... Well, um, there you go. So, kind of specifically, it increases the time that the CFTR channel remains open, and that kind of helps with the chloride transport activity. It uh, does have some interactions to be aware of. It's a major substrate of CYP3A4. Um, not approved for use in patients with homozygous F508 um, DEL. What's the best way to abbreviate deletion. that? So I know it's deletion. F, F, F is just uh, phenylalanine. Is, is it, there a short way that people say this? Uh, I, I mean, I've heard F508 I'm just gonna deletion. Say, I'm just going to say F508. Yeah, F508 deletion mutation. Yeah. Say deletion. it like that. Say it fast. What if we just combine them and said deletion? Mm. Well, what I, about demutation? I, I think that people are already like rolling their eyes, so <laughs> okay. we probably shouldn't add words together. We're going to stick with F508. We'll put that in our back pocket. I just, I don't like, you know, have you ever seen that episode of The Office <laughs> where... Um, or Michael is it? I think it's Michael. Either Michael or, um, gosh, I can't remember the other guy's the name. White? No, the one who spills Jim? the chili. Oh, spills the chili. Yeah. Hey, Jay, what's he talking about? I don't He's know. Talking about uh, the big guy. Bald yeah. Guy. Oh, Kevin. Kevin. It was either Michael or Kevin who decided to start like cutting out um, certain words and abbreviating <laughs> things to speak faster. Of course. And then nobody understood. So then he had to explain and ended up with him. You know, taking longer to say things. Of course. So I think that's what just happened. Here. So this is the story of his life. If yeah. he was a real guy. Yeah. Miss it. Yeah. Cole's very upset about that show going away. <laughs> brought that up multiple times. That was a long time ago. Too. I know. So that I was like, like 2012. It was like an eternity ago. AJ was in middle school then. Yeah. Were you even born? Probably not. Mm. Probably not. Probably not. AJ's 12 years old. Yeah. And, uh, AJ's 10. And he's in pharmacy school. He's very smart. Um, so yeah, we're talking about Avocaftor Calideco, <laughs> not approved for use in homozygous F508 deletion mutation. Um, it's approved for use in other responsive mutations. Adverse effects can affect the liver, increase LFTs. There is a risk for cataracts in children. We talked about the age restriction, um, and it should be taken with a high fat meal. Um, these are, so just to, um, kind of clarify how these come they're not an injectable they're not um, something to inhale they come as a either granule packet for the kids or they do come as a uh, tablet as well and, and there's actually 38 gene mutations that um avocadro can actually uh is, or is indicated for so yes. that gives you an idea of just how many of these things you know that you could potentially get with different uh genetic testing yep um, and then uh, Cole had kind of already mentioned um, some of the combos, um, but the uh, Ivacaftor, because it's not indicated for um, that F508 deletion mutation, uh, and we need to ensure that we're getting coverage for that, it doesn't mean that it's not indicated at like where you can't use that treatment, but it's basically not to be used as monotherapy, right. I guess would be a better way of saying it. It um, just doesn't have an FDA indication for that. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's not like effective yeah. in some way. Because um, it is utilized in the uh, when a patient has a, um, in combination, when patients do have that mutation. So um, there's Ivacaftor, and then it's in combo with Lumacaftor under the brand name or Cambi. Um, it's also an oral tablet or a granule, um, just like it's uh, monotherapy uh, cousin. It needs to be given with a high-fat meal, same 
you know, same way. And um, when you're mon- besides, you know, mon- confirming the gene mutation, you want to uh, monitor the uh, for symptomatic improvement, respiratory, you know, vents, FEV1, um, and then also uh, having pediatric patients undergo ophthalmic exams um, because it. Uh, can affect that as well. Um, and then from uh, a liver standpoint, ALT, AST, bilirubin. And then uh, that needs to be done at baseline and then every three months for that first year. And once you're stable, then annually. Um, other side effects, warnings, um, you know, things like that. The more uh, serious warnings to worry about would be the hepatic effects or the um, ophthalmic effects, specifically cataracts can be caused in pediatric patients. Um, it does have the potential to increase blood pressure, um, and then it's not recommended uh, in cystic fibrosis patients who are um, uh, post-op uh, transplant. Um, more common side effects uh, would be nausea, diarrhea, um, changes in respirations, chest discomfort, pharyngitis, fatigue, uh, menstrual irregularities, things like that. Um, so, uh, sorry, Cole. Just kicked Cole into the table. I thought you were trying to tell me I no, need to start I talking. No. I was like, wait, Cole, am I missing something? please talk so I can <laughs> stop talking now. Well, no. occasionally you have to go yell at the dogs, and I just kind of have to ramble for a while. I so do, you get yeah. Back. But the video's on today, so they're yeah. going to see me get up and just wander it's off true. camera. That's true. It keeps you here. <laughs> Nobody look at me when I disappear. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, that's uh, that's what I got for that one. Okay. And I guess they have to have two copies of that uh, five or F five Oh eight deletion. Yes. Mutation. For Ocambi, they have to have two copies for Trikafta. They, um, need either two copies or one copy of the F five Oh eight plus any other mutation. So mm. it all, you know, it all comes, we're not going to get into all the weeds there, oh, but we're going into the weeds comes down to making sure that you confirm the gene mutation test and confirm what um, type of mutation they have. And that can guide you a little bit. Um, couple things, random things with the Trikafta, the Tricombo. Um, the tablets come um, as two tablets that you take in the morning containing uh, Alaxacaftor and Tezacaftor. They're orange. And then in the evening, there's one tablet that is the Ivacaftor, and that's blue, just to make sure that um, you can counsel on that appropriately. Yeah. Blue tablet, PM. PM. Orange, orange tablet, yeah, the other time. <laughs> yeah. Not, East, Eastern time. Not the afternoon. Definitely not, because that would be the same thing. They am. So, um, what well, did you have anything else on those drugs? No. I just wanted to mention that they're very expensive. So, um, the majority of the time, the CFTR modulator is going to have to be filled through a specialty pharmacy. Um, because of that, those drugs, because of all the other inhaled medications a patient needs, frequent hospitalizations, um, infections. There is a significant financial burden just overall from this disease state. Um, some older, some old stats, the newest stats we have, I guess, um, the cost for medical care for the entire population of CF patients in the U S were estimated to be 314 million um, per year, um, uh, upwards and adjusted for inflation at the time. This is about 15 years ago, even was 421 million. Uh, it was kind of stratified based on the severity of illness, and they, interestingly, in this study, they stratified it based on their FEV1. So if it was over 70% per patient, um, there was about $10,000 a year, 40 to 70%, 25000 per year, less than 40%, 33000 per year. And you can imagine that they probably had more hospitalizations and that sort of thing. Um, but for uh, any individual patient, the cost is... 300,000 to 700,000 over their uh, lifetime. And the majority of that is hospitalizations. So a lot of these patients need um, a lot of financial assistance and um, a lot of time devoted by clinical staff to, um, to coordinate these things. 
Meanwhile, Cole won't pay $2 extra per shrimp <laughs> on his hibachi. Because I got to save money in case there's some crazy illness that happens. Mm-hmm. Got to be prepared. Got to be prepared. Yeah. Me, I kind of default into the mindset of like, things will probably work out fine. <laughs> and just yeah. hope for the best. That's eventually. So are you a cup half full? Yeah. Well, I mean, because I guess the, the alternative is like, well, it's all going to come crashing down anyway. Well, that's so cup half empty, but I'm not either of those. What are you? Depends on if you're filling it up or if you're emptying it. Don't get If you're filling it up, it's half full. Seriously. If I take an empty glass and I'm mm-hmm. putting it in under the fridge and I'm filling it up, you, you, I'd say, AJ, what is this? You say, that's half full. His cup runneth over. If I'm drinking it, it was full and now it's half. And you're less thirsty. Then I would say, I might say it's half empty. Actually, I'd probably still say half full. So maybe I am a half full guy. Oh, shoot. We've all, you know what? This is a podcast about realization. And, <laughs> we learn things about self, ourselves. Self-examination. And no, I think I, I, that's half empty. If you're we're emptying basically it, like the Oprah Winfrey If you're show. emptying it, half empty. Yeah, that's good. I, I think I'm definitely half, half full too. Because I'm like... Yeah, now things will probably be fine. Okay. Meanwhile, I just everything comes crumbling down, <laughs> and then I have to rise again like a phoenix. <laughs> right, I'm just gonna go live at AJ's house. I'm Don't just gonna. That. I'm not. I'm just gonna show up one day. The dog pound over there. I was I, gonna say. How many dogs you got now, AJ? Three. Three. Okay. Well, is the uh, the the Doberman pup? Is he getting along with the, his mom and dad? He's trying. Trying. He's doing his best. Is he big? He's huge. I'm is gonna he? be honest. I walked in here and saw four dogs. Uh, no. Because there was one that yeah. has been here before, but uh, yeah, he seems comes to be back. He comes, comes and goes. goes. That's, okay. a, that's Ashley's dog. Yeah. My, my wife's twin sister brings her dog over here, so then we can have four. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's a good idea. If you guys are ever wondering, like, hey, should we get more than two dogs? No. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Is that the answer? You will never regret it. Trust me. We don't, but we do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm ready to give all of them back. Anyways, so um, we didn't do a pearl of the day, but that's because we got a little bit different announcement uh, about our buddies over at Pearls, which is our main sponsor of the podcast. Um, and if you, again, if you haven't checked out Pearls, it's you've probably heard us mention this many times already, but um, it's a great platform for drug information with awesome charts and all kinds of uh, resources and just quick, you know, things to reference. Um, they can really help with your pharmacotherapy uh, skills. Um, and if you want to check out the app, go to pearls.com. That's P-Y-R-L-S.com slash core consult Rx. And you can sign up for a free account, try it out, see what you think. You get some free charts and things like that you can download. Um, but not only do they have a cool app with all kinds of awesome, you know, tips and tricks and things like that, but they have also launched Pearlcasts. I like how they incorporate our name into this stuff. I wish we didn't have such a dumb name that I came up with way back when. Then we could incorporate Core Console RX yeah. Casts. Yeah, let's make yeah, yeah, let's make a word that doesn't exist in the English language. It's a good idea. It's real clever marketing. But anyways, um, Pearlcasts is uh, a new like mini podcast series. So they're basically like five to fifteen minute short episodes, and they kind of just do like a quick overview of like very common clinical pearls. So um, you know things like certain um, sips uh, interaction. You know, like grapefruit juice in three or four interactions or assessing statins and diabetes risk, tramadol and serotonin syndrome, um, mechanisms that don't mix is their late, latest episode as of now. Um, and it's GLP ones and DPP four inhibitors and why we don't use those together. So I think this would be a good kind of, uh, 
supplements um, to our podcast, if you if you will. So you can listen to our stuff, and then we've mentioned a couple of these, and you can dive a little deeper in one little snippet of uh, information and make sure you're rock solid on it. But um, we really appreciate everything you know Pearls has supported us with so far, so definitely uh, check out their um, information and uh, their app, the podcast, all that good stuff. Um, like I've said before, so help help us support the, uh, the, the company that supported us. It became our first like sponsor of the podcast officially and um the the pharmacist derek it's it's in charge of or in founded pearls is a good guy so go go support them um and, you know other than that though let us know if you have any questions concerns um suggestions for episode topics or if you're an expert in the field and want to come on send us an email that'll be in the show notes and uh also if you want more like lecture style episodes or topics that we don't have our talking about the office and ramblings that we normally do um check out patreon that's patreon.com slash core consult rx you can get downloads slides um you can listen to lectures and uh in my opinion they're a lot more boring but that's you know okay too it's still my voice so you can make fun of uh, my monotone and stuff on there um I, i've joked on there before like it's three dollars a month and i'm like hey you know just download it for the the first time and then download all you know four thousand slides or whatever it is and then just delete it there's been a few, a few <laughs> you guys that took me up on that challenge accepted. And you know what? Touche. You did I, tell them to do it. I did. I told them that's great. That's all good. It's all good. We, I mean, you know, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> three bucks is three bucks. It supports the podcast. So we appreciate you. True. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, thank you guys for sticking around with us. Um, for as long as we have, I, I know we're, uh, we get off in these ridiculous tangents and goof around a lot, but we really appreciate everyone that listens and, um, we'll keep on trying to bring you guys, you know, average sub subpar content, <laughs> but good content. Okay, cool. We'll try that too. We're gonna do. We're gonna aim for that, but we're gonna mm. accept reality. Mm. So there you go. Thank you guys so much. We'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.